the Buddha's teaching points us directly to the mind. That aspect is particularly emphasized in the Zen tradition. They constantly emphasize it, but it's also already right there in the original teaching of the Buddha. I like first verse in Dhammapada. Mano maya dhamma, mano setha. Sorry, mano pubangama dhamma, mano setha, mano maya. All phenomena are preceded by mind. Mind is supreme. All phenomena are mind made, made by mind. This is where it all comes from, ultimately. Now often we get uh, lost in the external world. And for sure, no one can have a beneficial influence and uh, make uh, improvements in the external world, help other beings. But it is uh, limited. And the more direct approach is actually going inside and improving another state of one's own mind. Ultimately, the external environment will adjust to what is already the internal mind state. This is in a sense what happens in a rebirth. People pass away and then they may be reborn in devaloka or in states of deprivation like the hungry ghost. And depending on the quality of their mind, if a person is already like an angel while they live in this world, in this body, but internally their mind is a mind of an angel, is simply where they will go once a body dies. If they are already like a demon in their heart right now, this is simply where they will go when the body dies. And of course, if the heart is uh, utterly pure, completely purified, and they will not go anywhere anymore. Now that is the end of rebirth and the state of total freedom, total peace, and nibbana. So someone with uh, no understanding of the Dhamma may criticize a meditator. How can you sit and just meditate when there's this war and there's these things and why don't you go out and, and help and improve? But someone who understands the Dhamma more deeply realizes that the external world as it's manifest is ultimately coming out of our own mind as a karmic result. And the only way in it to dramatically improve it is by dramatically changing the mind internally. If we don't create any afflictive karma, then ultimately we will be in a reborn in a world without affliction, even in the Brahmaloka, in a very pure, refined rebirth, and lasting even for eons. And that in a beautiful, refined existence or world which you experience if you're reborn in this 
kind of jhana realms it would be completely impossible even if we all tried our level best all the time we cannot turn this world into that but if we turn our own mind into that into that purity of samadhi then the, the world we will experience later after it has now all worked out and uh, the rebirth has occurred and it will be exactly that beautiful Bahma world just uh, bliss and peace Although all that still remains impermanent and the only escape for complete freedom is uh, purifying the mind uh, completely, eliminating all defilements, even the deep underlying tendencies, by seeing with wisdom, by comprehending the impermanence of all formations, by contemplating the arising and passing away of all sankhavas contemplating the Four Noble Truths and uh, contemplating the not-safe character in all five groups of clinging, the form, feeling, perception, intention and uh, consciousness. And then the state of complete release that can be experienced again right in our own heart. It may appear quite difficult you know, to train oneself to that level you know, that any attachment, any craving, any aversion, any form of delusion is removed completely from the heart. And it's obviously not quite easy, but it can be done. You know, and starting with the Buddha in this dispensation, uh, um, thousands and millions a person have achieved that and have been able to completely free their heart. But I'm not aware that in the last, I don't know how many thousands of years, anyone has ever achieved that there's absolutely no war in this world. Don't think we ever had that. That there's no crime in this world, that there's no the acts of uh, egotism and harming and so on. We can achieve that, at least for us ourselves. And unfortunately, these two things are not completely separate. Usually in order to fully purify our mind internally, and in order to do that, at the times when we are not in internal meditation, but we are interacting with other beings, we are active in the external world, we will make a positive contribution. Because the very same exercises and practices which lead to purification of our own heart also are beneficial for other beings. Acting with kindness, acting with compassion, acting with gratitude and respect acting uh, with generosity and helping and supporting others. It's obviously making a positive impact on other beings as improving this world. But at the same time, it is also improving and purifying our own heart. 
And although a more worldly person will think the external work is by far the more important, and once you're really into Dhamma practice, you realize that even this external world, you know, you're doing it almost primarily you know, for internal purification. The same with virtue, same as keeping precepts. There's a huge positive effect. You know, the abhayadana, gift of fearlessness to countless beings, the moment we keep five precepts, we are really committed to that and we train ourselves that these five precepts become an ingrained part of our character. And then for a long time there will be no danger emanating from us from us to anything, to any being. And no being has to be afraid of us. That is great and is really good for others. Improve this world. But it also has a huge impact on our own internal purification. And that one can, can be more successful. Even if our own precepts are absolutely, totally perfect, immaculate, impeccable precepts all the time, you probably will find that the world is still a mess. <laughs> at least you're not contributing to the mess anymore, and at least you're creating some environment, maybe at least in your more narrow circle and so on, you put out all these little improvements, but compared to all the big things, negative happening is still somewhat limited. But on the own heart, the transformative effect is tremendous. And if we stay on that track, we can notice that is actually possible. This is something that can be achieved. This is something that we don't have to become desperate, that it appears like on Mission Impossible, trying how hard you may ever try to make this world into totally peaceful, where the lions play with the antelopes, and you can, anyone can leave their possessions lying around. You don't need to lock anything. There's no crime. No one is hurting or harming or insulting or whatever. You know, okay, this beautiful dream, but I think it's fairly obvious that with our means we have, we cannot turn the world into that. Even the Buddha couldn't do that. None of the other religious teachers could do that. We can make our own little contribution. But when it comes to transforming our own mind, that's actually possible. And you can notice that. And as you watch, you purify your precepts, your virtue becomes very good, very pure. And you see these little changes, the little impact you have on other beings and the little improvements and good vibes you're putting out. But then if you compare the good vibes in your own heart and the transformative power in your own heart of keeping precepts for a longer period, you notice, oh wow, this is really absolutely dramatic. And if you support it with uh, lots of good actions, punya, generosity, 
was a very powerful transformation internally. And then once you really go for samatha, samadhi, developing concentration, developing unification of mind, uh, and even not yet fully, even in the beginning stages, you realize that the uh, potential of internal transformation is almost virtually unlimited. It can be done to such a powerful extent. And uh, and if a beautiful opportunity to meet those beings who have succeeded in completely purifying your mind, then you get even more inspiration. And you, you see in a concrete living example in a, in a person this can be done, no, this is possible nowadays by a human being just like me and then together and with the effects the powerful transformative effects you already see happening in your heart and then the example of beings you now have followed that through to the very end, to the state of total purity and freedom and security and uh, ultimate highest happiness and Nibbana. Uh, When one gains the faith to uh, even further increase the effort of internal purification and one becomes less concerned about the world one develops more equanimity to the external things as long as we are not contributing to the mess and the cruelty happening in any which way and not endorsing it, not encouraging it, but the very opposite. We discourage the war and violence, we encourage everyone to be virtuous and peaceful and to practice metta and compassion and so on, we do that. But uh, with equanimity, we also see the limitations. But internally, our motivation and our enthusiasm becomes uh, stronger and stronger because we see, oh, this is actually, you you see a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. You can see this is possible, you can get through, you can break through. Although you're digging the hard work, digging, 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 where there's light at the end of the tunnel, you can reach through. As externally, no, it's not really possible. So no, usually a Dhamma practitioner will become no, less worried about the external state of the world, as long as our own contribution is exclusively positive and we are not doing anything bad there. Apart from that, no one is less concerned, no one has more equanimity and the focus of one's life and one's effort and practice is more and more wide in the heart where you really can do something and where there's an end to it and where you can notice that actually works and can be achieved. It can be done however much war and uh, unpleasant things and uh, shocking atrocities and whatnot is happening outside. Internally the uh, goal is achievable and all one's effort gets redirected there.
one doesn't become despondent then if the world is doing its normal play. Now, Ukraine is not the first war. Not sure whether you had heard about Yemen. There was a very nasty war going on in Yemen for a long time. Uh, so many people dying, children, uh, incredible cruel diseases due to the war which killed uh, huge amounts of people and in other places. No one hears about that. But it has uh, been going on for as long as this human world is going like that. But the more we have the focus on the internal work and internal purification, the less these uh, external disappointments will make us despondent. They will not make us despondent anymore. We can observe it with equanimity. We can put out and radiate loving kindness and compassion, acknowledging the limits of what we can change and continue with great motivation, enthusiasm, in transforming internally where it can be done. And at the same time knowing that the path of internal purification has exclusively wholesome and beneficial effects externally to other beings as well. A few reflections on pointing right back to the mind, going right back into the mind, working internally in the mind, and not getting too despondent with the world. Vinaya, Loki Abhicha Dumanasan, having abandoned covetousness and grief in regards to the world, as it says for Satipatthana. It's actually one condition to successfully really practice the four foundations of mindfulness. Having abandoned the desire and aversion regarding this external world. Any comments, questions? find that pushing it aside is a very limited approach. Now the Buddha gives that as a last emergency measure. If, you, if, if any attempts in contemplating with wisdom that just don't work successfully and you're in danger of making bad karma or breaking precepts, then even with the teeth clenched and the tongue pressed against the gums and just suppress it, fight it. But this is the last emergency measure. The first thing is always contemplating with wisdom and using any kind of technique to see with wisdom 
that one can let go. And that is a, a crucial part of the practice. And the reflection of already meant for that. And once we see you know, the important path is you know, inside, then uh, one realizes it's no longer so overwhelming what happens outside. It cannot be done just by willpower. You can do that for a short time if you get really in danger of being overwhelmed. But in the long run, that wouldn't work just by willpower. It has to be wisdom power, contemplating impermanence, and building up the opposing quality, and the matter, building that up to oppose the aversion, contemplating impermanence or the unattractive nature of the body for opposing the desire and greed and so on. Yeah, now there are four forms of right effort, you know, um, avoiding unwholesome mind states from arising, abandoning unwholesome mind states that have already arisen, arousing wholesome states, and then leading wholesome states which already are there to their you know, culmination and perfection. But all four of these, you know, again, should be done with wisdom, not just by, by sheer willpower and uh, avoiding unwholesome states from arising. Now, this is not mainly aiming at uh, just suppressing them right in the beginning, but, for example, if you sit and do a metta meditation, then uh, metta becomes quite strong in your mind, and uh, then the arising of states of anger and aversion will be kind of nipped in the bud as long as your mind is buzzing along uh, with metta is quite unlikely you know, that uh, aversion and anger will arise. So it's correct what you said you know, about the four forms of right effort, you know, but all four forms you know, should be done with, guided by wisdom and guided by you know, developing opposing mind states against the negative ones you know, and then fully cultivating again you know, with wisdom and skill and according to the Buddha's instructions, you know, the good ones. Mm-hmm. Then do we have to develop equanimity as a skill or as a part of wisdom? I wouldn't say or. I would say you know, that uh, you develop equanimity as a skill based on wisdom. The true equanimity you know, has to be Based on wisdom, I can't really quite see how else you could really get equanimity going. One can have an indifference, the indifference of a water buffalo. That can be established without wisdom, but equanimity the Buddha talks about is usually based on the understanding of impermanence, of not me, not mine, not self. And the better, the deeper that understanding goes, the deeper the insight, the more profound will be the equanimity. Um, wouldn't it be a sort of a picking the middle part between the Bhavatana and 
the middle path. Yeah, yeah. Now there are three forms of tanna, nakama tanna, bhava tanna, vibhava tanna, expounded in the Four Noble Truths, and a central craving, craving for existence and craving for annihilation. And you have to take you know, the middle path between all three, but it's not necessarily between. If you say between, it, it, it looks like just in the middle between extermination and um, existence it's, it's not quite in the middle like a compromise or like middle of the world politics it's more like transcending it on, on a higher level and so usually we vacillate and the unenlightened mind will flip to one of the extremes and what you're describing can be taken as an example but it's not so much in between, it's, it's more like going beyond both. The middle path is usually not just an in-between, but uh, uh, transcending and, and going beyond both of them. And that one is quite a tricky one, <laughs> because it's difficult for most people uh, to imagine something else in existence other than non-existence. To be or not to be, that is the question. You know the famous one from Hamlet? Yes. It's actually a very beautiful soliloquy, but um, it's a little bit misleading, no? because once you enter the be or not to be, you're already stuck. You're only stuck in the extremes. And the two way out, the middle way, is neither, it's not even neither being nor not being. It's really completely out of it. Realizing uh, if someone sees uh, the arising of the world according to dependent origination, uh, based on ignorance, formations, based on formations, consciousness, based on consciousness, name and form, and so on, so all the links, uh, that person wouldn't side with a position of annihilationism, of non-existence. And if someone sees uh, the cessation of all things, for all conditioned phenomena according to a dependent origination. And with the cessation of ignorance, there's the ending of all formations. With the ending of all formations, there's the end of consciousness, the end of consciousness, the end of name and form, and so on, so all the links. Now that person wouldn't side with the position of no existence. So dependent origination and understanding of dependent origination is the, the going beyond the two extremes of existence and non-existence. You see in your own, own heart, you see how the world arises. And the burden and the delusion of egos are basically you know, the same. Arise together. Delusion of the illusion of entity Delusion, illusion of the, the world, the universe. You, you see how it arises, and then you see how it ceases. And when the heart can see that you know, experientially you know, in your, your own mind, how it happens, how it rises, how it ceases, and you can no longer get stuck in these two extremes, being and non-being.
Okay, already five o'clock. I can share Mabbots with all the beings, page 33. Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, may the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life, may they soon attain the threefold bliss, and realize the deathless, through the goodness that arises from my practice, and through this act of sharing, may all desires and attachments quickly cease, and all harmful states of mind, until I realize Nibbana, in every kind of birth, may I have an upright mind, with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor, may the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge, unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble God, the Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and 